Beloved, these kinds of events are a painful reminder that sin and evil are present and active in our world today. And they raise questions. First of all, why does God allow such things to happen? How can a person be inclined to such evil? And what could be done to prevent these things? There are no perfectly clear answers to any of these questions. And we're left in a cloud of confusion, often just wondering when and where this will happen next. And the big question for us, the question that we wrestle with today is, what can be done about this? How can it be remedied? Well, to answer questions about sin and evil, we actually need to look at things from a wider perspective than politics or psychology or sociology or any other ology. We need a cosmic perspective. And in our passage from Mark's Gospel, where Jesus is led into the wilderness, we get just such a perspective. Jesus is led into the wilderness at the beginning of his public ministry, right before his public ministry starts, and he's to be tempted by Satan. And what Mark is doing, if you look at the description in this passage of the wilderness, is he's giving us a glimpse into the cosmic realm of evil and righteousness. You have, on the one hand, Satan and the wild beasts of the wilderness. And you have, on the other hand, Jesus and the angels that he has to minister to him in this time of trial. It's a battleground of righteous and wickedness going head to head. And Satan attempts to distract Jesus from his mission by tempting him to abuse his power, as we know from other narratives of this story. You see, when evil things happen, like school shootings, uh, we're always asking questions about gun control and mental health and security protocols and so forth. And these are important things to address. But the Bible always invites us to see these issues at a much deeper level, where we become aware of the kingdom of, on the one hand, of this world over which Satan has temporary control, and the kingdom of God which has broken in through the person of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus comes out of this wilderness temptation victorious, and right away what that tells us, it's a sign that tells us that at the beginning of his public ministry, we are already shown that in the presence of the Christ, evil cannot and will not remain in power. It will not triumph. If you want to follow along, we're going to look in a little bit deeper into this passage in Mark's Gospel. Jesus uh, then begins his ministry of proclamation. And he goes out into public and he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Well, what's he saying? He's telling us, that a new ruler has broken into enemy territory. A new ruler has broken into enemy territory, and that ruler fully intends to establish a kingdom that will triumph over that enemy. And then he goes on and he says, Repent and believe in the good news. What does that mean? To repent is is really... um, while it encompasses asking forgiveness for your sins, it's much bigger than that. To, to repent is actually to actively turn away from one thing and turn towards another. And in this case, it means to change your allegiance. Because the kingdom of God has come near, Jesus tells us it's time to change your allegiance. 
to a different kingdom. And in that kingdom, when you swear allegiance to that kingdom, you say, I'm committed to honoring this king and his laws and his ways. You see, committing yourself to obey God's laws, God's ways, is in one sense to submit yourself to new restrictions. And submitting to restrictions is not the most popular notion in our society. We want to remain autonomous, self-ruling. We say, I'm my own person. I do not need someone else to tell me what to do. I do not need to be restricted. But here's the thing. We need some restrictions in order to survive. Just think about this for a minute. You could say, I am going to enjoy an unrestricted diet of donuts and beer, like Homer Simpson. But if you try to do that, if you live without restrictions, you're eventually going to have a heart attack. You see, just like musicians need restrictions and rules for their music to be beautiful and to make sense, there are restrictions that humans need to flourish. And Christianity says God's ways are the perfect restrictions we were made for. In fact, they're the restrictions that will truly set us free. You see, to even begin to deal with the problem of evil in the world, we have to recognize that we are in need of certain restrictions that guide us away from evil and into goodness. You know, Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, uh, understood the law not to be a burden but a gift. They said no other nation has his righteous judgments. It sets our hearts free to know his will. It was a gift. And so it is for us. So to repent is really to turn toward what will help us lead righteous, flourishing, God-honoring lives. Believe in the good news. What does Jesus mean by believe in the good news? Well, in this case, believe, to believe is to entrust yourself to something. And what Jesus is referring to specifically is in entrusting yourself entirely to Jesus, entrusting yourself to the kingdom of God that has come near in him. The only problem with this is that on our own, we actually aren't capable of such a thing. We actually aren't capable of surrendering in such a way because there are inclinations in us that resist such a surrender to God's will. I don't need these restrictions. I want to be a free, self-governing person. And because of this rebellion in the human heart, we remain stuck in the category of unrighteous, which is to say unworthy, sinful, unable to enter God's righteous and pure presence. Now, here's the shocking reality that we have to face up to. The sin that resides in Nicholas Cruz's heart or any other killer is the same force, a result of the same force that resists God's will in our own hearts. There's this place in the Sermon on the Mount where uh, Jesus says, you all know that the law says you shall not kill. But I say to you that if you are angry with someone, you will be liable to judgment. You see, it's not just an act of murder. It's not just an act of murder or killing that sin. It begins with the inclination of bitterness and anger in us towards other people. Jesus says that's where the trajectory begins that leads to murder. And Jesus is telling us that this inner condition that we have needs healing. 
healing from beyond ourselves because it separates us from God and hinders us from being who we were created to be. It hinders us from flourishing. And so we're left looking at the human condition, at our own condition, and asking that question again, what can be done about this? How can it be remedied? And that's where we get, that's where we get to the other part of the good news of the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus' victory in the wilderness points forward to a greater victory when he hangs on the cross for the sins of the world. We heard from our epistle to First Peter today, the very first sentence, Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. The righteous for the unrighteous. It's the language of exchange. Jesus, the righteous, dies in our place, bearing the punishment that we deserved. Now think about this for a second. If you think, well, that seems awfully harsh, that the punishment is death. But think about how God handles this because you cannot understand the depths of human sin until you understand the grace and love of God and how he deals with it. Think about what happens here. God puts himself up there on the cross to bear his own necessary judgment on evil. All, as Peter says, so that we can be close to him. If you're here today and and that reality hasn't taken a hold of you, I invite you to reflect on what God has done to make you a part of his family. See, not only has the kingdom of God broken into our world of suffering and violence, the king of that kingdom has set aside his majesty and allowed himself to be the victim of suffering and violence. On our behalf, on behalf of every victim of violence, and even on behalf of the perpetrators of violence. People ask, why does God allow so much suffering? And all we can say is, we don't know. We don't know. Please don't try to answer that question in any other way. But here's the thing. If Christianity is true, if Christianity is true, the one thing you can't say is that God is distant and aloof from our suffering. Because of the cross. You can't say that God doesn't know what it's like or that God doesn't care. I always um, said my favorite Bible verse is John 11:35 because it's the easiest one to memorize. It says, Jesus wept. But if you think about the implications of those two words for a minute, you learn something about the heart of God. Jesus sobbed over the body of his friend Lazarus. What does this tell us? Because he's experienced our humanity, God stands with us in our suffering. And while we scream and yell and question why he allows it, he looks at us with compassion and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Here's why the cross of Christ is central to our existence to all of the questions we have about evil and death. The cross is not, it's not just a declaration of the forgiveness of the most heinous sins. It is that, but it's more than that. It's also a sign that all evil has ultimately and effectively been dealt with. 
Because Christ has died, every single person has the opportunity to be brought into a relationship of eternal life with their Heavenly Father, no matter what they have done. And that means even death cannot wipe you out. Even death cannot wipe you out because as St. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. That's the hope. You see, the cross points forward to that day when every wrong will be righted. When God's perfect justice will eliminate evil from this creation and its unrepentant perpetrators will also be eliminated and God will wipe away every tear from every grieving eye and restore the world to perfect beauty and everlasting peace. Friends, that is how sin and evil are remedied. That's how the sickness of our world is dealt with. And while finding the right legislation and securing our schools appropriately and offering mental health counseling to those in need of it are all very important, all of those things, nothing we do will ultimately deal with the problem of sin and evil. All we can do is, in the meantime, try to deal with the symptoms as best we can. But thanks be to God, the problem has ultimately been dealt with. And if that doesn't give us hope, nothing will. Nothing will. We are left clinging to his cross with hope. So as we enter into this uh, season, uh, a symbolic wilderness, there's no uh, coincidence that it's 40 days long, what does it mean for us? What does all of this mean for Lent, for us here on this local level? Well, you see, if our Lenten practices are just a pass-fail test that we are giving ourselves to see if we have adequate willpower... They're just glorified New Year's resolutions. Friends, Lent is actually a time when we're challenged to look deep into our own hearts and commit to wrestling with the sin and the evil that we find there. It's easy to point to a person like Nicholas Cruz and say, what a wicked person. It's not so easy to recognize our own wickedness in speaking disrespectfully to our families or getting prideful about our accomplishments or holding the shortcomings of others against them. See, the most dangerous of our sins are the ones that go undetected, the most subtle of them. The famous uh, writer, uh, Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton in the early 20th century uh, was once asked by a newspaper, he did work with columns, and he was asked by a newspaper, what's wrong with the world? And uh, he famously replied, Dear sirs, I am. That is a person who has been captivated by the message of the cross. That only, that the answer will only come through what God can do because the condition of our hearts is where the problem begins. So, whatever discipline or fast or practice you choose to implement for these 40 days, let it be one that puts you face to face with those things in you that need to be nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. I know I have many. Many. But remember this. Remember that you do not battle sin and temptation alone. 
Let me read you something from an author. She says, Participation in Christ means abandoning our pretenses, openly acknowledging our identities as sinners in bondage, and in the same moment, realizing with a stab of piercing joy that the victory is already ours in Christ, won by Him who died to save us. You could say amen to that. Friends, as we enter into the wilderness of Lent and look out beyond the horizon towards the resurrection of Easter, let the words of our collect this morning ring in our ears. As you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Amen.